we know that we'll never be able to give him that great praise and adoration in these bodies like we'd like, but we will certainly do the best we can. Amen. Amen. So glad to have um, Sister Jill Fleeman and her family here with us today, Brother Anthony. Amen. Been two years, I think, since they've been able to be in church, and the Lord has done some wonderful, wonderful things for our sister. Still needs, needs some more of God's power to help her and get off of dialysis and some things, but the same Lord Jesus that's brought her this far can take her all the way, can you? Amen. So glad to see y'all today. We've certainly prayed for y'all and sure love you. Let's turn today, if you would, to Revelation 21 again. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Let's read about our new home. The place where we're going, where there'll be no more prayer requests. Be no more sick or afflicted or anybody with any problems or any issues. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice, and I mentioned it last night, this word great comes from the word mega, where we get megaphone, megabytes. So it was a large voice, a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, our hearts so long for that blessed time to arrive. Yes. Lord Jesus, how grateful we are while we're waiting for that time to arrive. That your presence is with us even now. Even in this dark age that we're living we're so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you've come among us and manifested yourself in so many ways. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that we have your powerful, wonderful name, your life, your word. We thank you, Lord. Our brother and sister Fleeman been with us today. And Lord, what you brought our sister through and Lord, our family. I know it's been a difficult time for him. We want to give you praise and honor today, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, I have this prayer cost in my hand, Lord, for Sister Rachel Hamblin's sister. We thank you for what you've done for her. Lord, she still needs uh, progression and healing, and we're just believing you that you'll move for her, Lord. As I preach with this today, Father, may your anointing, I pray, just be with it. May you help our sister. Other needs, no doubt, desires, requests today among us. Would you just help us, Father, as we endeavor to speak about this blessed land. Help us, Lord Jesus. Open our hearts and our understanding, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let's read verse 4, and we'll pick up from last night. And God shall wipe 
all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. No more death. Since he's the one who said death would come when Adam disobeyed the word, he's the only one that can eradicate it. All of our lives have been affected by death. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, children, friends, people that we know. But I'm, I wonder if we understand the scope of death. This very day, on an average, 72,500 people will die around the world today. And the average year, over 55 million die in one year. Now, can you imagine 55 million with our current population? How many have died every day since Adam fell from the promise of God's word? Now, no doubt there's more today than there has been in times gone by because of the population. But wonder how many billions and billions of people have died on the earth since man fell 6,000 years ago. More people die than are millionaires. More people die than are pretty or handsome or live in million-dollar houses. You see, that's something that only a small percentage of the world will ever have will be a million-dollar house. Or those that would be worth so much money. But there's one thing we all share in common, and that is death. Whether you are rich, whether you are poor, whether you're black, white, red, yellow, death is not a racist. That's right. It comes to claim us all. Whether we are Christians, non-Christians, infidels, well, I don't believe in death. Don't matter. He'll get you whether you believe in him or not. So whenever the Lord says that there will be no more deaths, when we look at the scope of what this involves since the very fall of man in the beginning, for one to be able to stand and proclaim that there will be no more deaths, who is this one that would make such a proclamation? Can he back up what he says? Oh, yes. Because he's the very one who conquered death itself. But to think that there will be a time in this blessed earth when there will never be an old man, an old woman, there will never be a child, there will never be an animal, there will never be a leaf, there will never be an insect, there will never be anything that will die. There will be no more deaths. Well, as I said last night, forget streets of gold, forget all kinds of jewels and gems to live in a place where Jesus is and there's no more death. That sounds like heaven to me. But yet we're told that there will be no more deaths coupled with crying, coupled with pain, with sorrow, 
And yet to imagine that God would be able to eradicate all of this, but in one sense of the word, when you look at it, if he can go to the very source of what caused all of this in the beginning, then the symptoms themselves shouldn't be hard to be able to eliminate, should they? Because at one time on this earth, there was no death. In the Garden of Eden, it's hard for our minds to be able to imagine what type of world that it was. That Adam and Eve would have got up every day. The paradise of God was absolutely incredible. It was beautiful. There was nothing like it. They never got sick. They never got tired. They never got weary. No one died. No one passed. None of that ever came there until Adam broke away from God's word. But since that time, death has come to every race, every tribe, every culture, every country. And if God but does not call us away in the body change and the rapture, every individual in this building inevitably will die. Whether or not you say, well, I've got years of my life left. Oh, death does not work with you according to your schedule. Death does not say, okay, what day would you like to die? Now, are you ready? Uh, what day do you think now your life is finished? That's not the way it works at all. This is why it pays us to be ready. Every hour, every day of our life. But yet him that sat upon the throne was able to thunder out from his being the only one who could say such a thing that there will be no death. So the believers won't die, their children won't die, their offspring won't die, nothing else will die, there will be no death. So if you eradicate death, there will be no one to experience it. So he demolishes or destroys death itself. Now notice he tells John, he said, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more deaths, neither sorrow nor crying. Now notice in the way that he's dealing with this, he writes not just the positives of what heaven will have, but he emphasizes greatly on the negatives of what heaven will not have. Heaven will have golden streets, it will have gates of pearl, yes, it will have great things, but he knew that we as mortals for the most part we could actually be able to relate to the things it won't have better than we can the things that it will have. Well, pretty much concrete driveways and gravel and, and blacktop, it's what we're used to. Don't tell me you can, you're used to streets of gold, because I don't believe that. Don't tell me you're used to gates of pearl, come on. Don't tell me you're used to Chalcedony and all these other precious things, but I do know this, you're used to pain, you're used to sorrow, you're used to suffering, you're used to death, you're used to crying tears. So God said, John, don't just tell them what's going to be there but tell them what won't be there. Tell them that I'll destroy death, John. Tell them that I'll wipe all tears from their eyes. They'll be able to relate to that. Notice he says there shall be no sorrow, neither, no more death, rather, neither sorrow nor crying. Now let's look at this. The word sorrow denotes sorrow or grief of any kind. Sorrow for the loss of property or the loss of friends or sorrow because of disappointment or persecution 
or sorrow over sins. So it's every type of sorrow that is imaginable. So it's not just sorrow of, of losing a loved one, which would be, of course, associated with death, but it is any type of sorrow that you've ever had in life. Now think of this. As we look at how broad the coverage of sorrow is, since man fell in the Garden of Eden, there has never been one day, one hour, one moment of any given day for thousands of years when there has not been sorrow over the face of the earth. There has never been one human being that has ever lived since the fall of Adam. That every day of their life, every hour of their life, every week, every month, every year, that they have had complete, perfect happiness. There has never been one mortal, whether they are a king or a pauper, whether they are a multimillionaire or if they are homeless on the side of the road begging for their lunch. There has never been one human that has ever lived on the earth, including our Lord Jesus that lived in a state of perfect euphoria every moment of the day that they had no sadness no difficulty no sorrow there has never been a mortal that has ever experienced such a thing since the fall of Adam and the Garden of Eden but my brother sister let me tell you today that we are headed toward a world when there will not be one man and one woman but there will be billions of people who will live on the face of this earth oh my and there will be no sadness there will be no difficulty there will be no trouble I am talking about our future home oh my the sources by which sorrow can be generated are numerable you know, something that would bring me sorrow might not bother you at all and vice versa. But yet there would be so many avenues by which we would be able to be affected by sorrow. And sorrow is a great thing. We know that. A disappointment by people and being let down by people and your own failures toward God, your own shortcomings. There's so many avenues by which we can be affected by sorrow and different degrees of sorrow. That we can be so sorrowful and so bitter in our spirit that it really takes something for God to be able to lift us up supernaturally. How many has ever experienced sorrow like that before? But yet we live in a sorrowful world. So it's not just us as individuals and the things that bother us, as I said, might be different one to the other, but the whole world around us is in a place of sorrow. So God is going to eliminate not just sorrow, which is the attribute of this greater cause, but God is going to eliminate the cause of the tears, the cause of the pain, the cause of the sorrow. So you eliminate the cause and the attributes automatically go away. Notice this when we read in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 16. Under the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. So here now we see the word sorrow used for the first time in the Bible. And that is after the fall of man. And it is given to the woman first because the woman was the one who partook first of the forbidden fruit. And God says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. So now 
Now there is a junction here that joins it together so the mother, the woman, will now be joined together. Her sorrow will be multiplied and also her, her conception bringing forth children. But God does not leave it with her alone. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So God is the one who pronounced sorrow. God is the only one who can take it away. Now notice he's reminding John and letting John know not only will there be wonderful things there, but let me remind them of the things that won't be there, which all of them have had relative to life, and that is tears and pain and sorrow and suffering. Notice Psalms 13 too. How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart daily. How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Now we're talking about a man who was the greatest king. The greatest king that ever Israel ever had. King David and what a legacy that the man left behind. A man that we consider to be very emotional. A man that loved God, danced, shouted, praised God. But in that amazing a man that danced and shouted and sung and worshipped and carried on the way he did. Yet he said he had sorrow every day. And you can be a happy Christian, that does not mean that you're exempt from dealing with sorrow. Because much of our sorrow is brought to us, not only by our own walk, but those that are around us. Is this true? So you have a friend, a loved one that's going through a hard time. You cannot be a real genuine Christian and know that you've got a brother or sister in the Lord that's going through something and it not affect you if you're really a child of God. Because we are so accustomed to being associated in the natural family and in the spiritual family as well. So David said that he dealt with sorrow daily. Now think in your own mind how many days have you had in life as a mortal when you have been pain free, sorrow free trouble free anxiety free and now maybe yourself there was not much going on in your own life but you got a text from this friend of yours or an email or somebody posted something on social media and it was not really you it was not your son it was not your family but you were at it and when you did read it oh it just brought such sorrow inside of your heart so God does not just wanting to eliminate it from his people He's wanting to eliminate it forever, where it will be totally destroyed and annihilated. Notice again, David said, for the days of our years are three score and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, eighty, yet is their strength labor, a notice, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. 
So if we live to be 70 years old and maybe we've really got a lot of grace and we make it to 80 years old, this is what David said, yet there is strength, labor, and sorrow, and soon it is cut off and we fly away. Solomon, his son, said in Ecclesiastes 2.22, For what hath man of all of his labor and of his vexation of his heart, wherein has he labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. Now we're not talking about two guys that was out, you know, on the side of the road begging for their food. We're talking about two kings. Two kings that had honor and fame and fortune and riches and all kinds of natural things that Laodicea would say, man, you're doing good. These guys had all of that, but yet they still was dealing with sorrow. Whether or not y'all know it, let me in on a great clue this morning. Money cannot rid you of all your life's troubles. There you go, that's free. Now, what's this? He, uh, Solomon says, all of his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest at night. Now, what makes this to me so wonderful is, as we looked at it last night, the one who's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes is the very one that experienced tears in his own eyes, the Lord Jesus. So when the Lord Jesus comes out into the kingdom of God, no doubt for us, it will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and whatever he walks out the very one that will wipe the tears from our eyes is the very one who cried himself so the very body that he will walk out into and take his hand and rub the tears out of your eyes is the same body that he had on the earth except glorified and changed at the resurrection oh praise God so the very one that cried himself will wipe the tears from your eyes Notice Isaiah 53.3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now I know folks that like to picture the Lord Jesus as just being one of these smiley type of guys that went around all the time he was on the earth and never had no burdens and no troubles. That's contrary to God's word. He was a man of sorrows. Now I don't believe that Jesus, you know, was a down on the dumb sort of a guy as far as that goes. I do believe he reached the balance in his own walk so we would be able to find that balance. He had the fullness of the Godhead bodily in him, but he allowed himself to be subjected so much to humanity that Jesus felt sorrow. Can you understand in your mind that Jesus would feel heavy and Jesus would feel burdened down and loaded? Come on. I don't know about you. I'm grateful he allowed himself to feel that way so when I get that way, he can understand how I feel. So he was a man of sorrows. Notice how that Isaiah prophetically identifies him. And he doesn't just say that he had sorrows, but he said he was a man of sorrows. So, you know, whenever you're going to that, it's a greater depth than just saying a man has a few problems every now and then. But he was a man that had so many sorrows that he was called a man of sorrows. Well, what do we call a person that has a lot of money? A man of wealth, a man of finance, a 
man of ability, a man of this or that or the other. How do we identify that? Well, he's more than a man that's just got 20 bucks in his billfold and can buy his dinner. But this is a man of means. So he said, well, he's a man of wealth. He's a man of position. He's a man of, well, our Lord Jesus was not a man of wealth. He had very little money when he was here. He didn't even have a place to stay. Come on, saints. He was not identified as a man of wealth. He was not identified as an intellectual giant, though he was the very intellect himself, the very mind of God. But he was identified as a man of sorrow. So what does that let you and I know? That he experienced sorrows that were so many. Sorrows were part of his everyday life, as we would say. Not so much maybe that he was struggling within himself, but can you imagine with all this power in you, seeing the lame, the halt, the blind, the cripple, all of those things, and yet you could not help them because they did not believe in you? You wanted to help them, and yet the Scripture says he could not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. You had in you the ability to heal a crippled child, but the mother of that child called you Beelzebub and run you out of town. You wanted to help this man and this woman and this boy and this girl, but instead of them allowing you to do so, they called you evil names, and instead of you being able to release the power of God out of you, you had to leave heavy-hearted. You understand? Oh, friends, we have so lifted him, and he ought to be lifted. He ought to be praised so high. This is not humiliating our Lord. Our Lord wants us to see how low he became so he could bring us up to where he was. This is not taking away from his greatness to me. This makes it greater. When we understand the depth of what he went through, being identified as a man of sorrows. Notice, and acquainted with grief. So he allows himself to feel grief. So he allows himself, the shortest scripture in the Bible, Jesus wept. He allows himself to feel a pain and agony and hurt. And he allows himself to cry. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. So he not only had his own and the present tense of the time that he was living with. Oh, but can you imagine prophetically that he carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Jeremiah 20 verse 18. Wherefore I came forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame. Romans 9.1, I say the truth in Christ, I like not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. A man with the Holy Ghost, a man with the token life of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Alpha Bride, and yet continuously dealing with sorrow in his heart. Praise the Lord. Now, them Old Testament scriptures, you say, well, them people didn't have the Holy Ghost. But this man did have the Holy Ghost. We're talking about Paul. 
But every one of us deal with such things. Now notice here he goes in, in sorrow in a little bit different angle, Philippians 2, 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion and labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and that he ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, was full of heaviness because that he had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So here Epaphroditus had got sick and Paul was on a missionary journey and he actually had to leave Epaphroditus back in another state, another place. And then Epaphroditus, uh, Paul made him sit known as he's going around, brothers, remember Epaphroditus, he's sick. So it come back to Epaphroditus and he was so grateful and so thankful for what they had done. But Paul said, not only was God merciful to Epaphroditus, but he said he was merciful to me. Now what difference would that make? If it would have been the will of God to take an Epaphroditus, it would have been one less soldier. It would have been one less minister. You see, these folks believe in preachers. They were Bible Christians. So Paul said if God would have taken this preacher off the field, it would have added another to my sorrow. So one soldier been taken off of the field would have been another sorrow on top of the other sorrows that he already bore. But yet I realize, friends, that we live in an age when everybody wants to go through the power of positive thinking. Do I believe there's power in that? I do. But you can think as positive as you want to. But you ain't never going to rid yourself nor this world of all the trouble that we're in because you ain't God. There's only one person that's going to rid this trouble of all his sorrow and its trouble and it ain't you, it ain't me, it ain't some positive preacher, it's the Lord God Almighty. Do I believe we ought to talk positive? I do. Do I believe we ought to confess his word? I do. But I'm also got enough sense to know I don't care how much I confess it, I'll never confess it all away from me. I'll never confess it all away from you. It's the world we live in. It's a troubled time. It's a troubled world. And we are laden with heaviness and sorrow. But oh, happy day when our Lord Jesus will stand and say, oh, Away sorrow, away pain. Notice, God shall wipe all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, nor crying. The word properly denotes a cry or an outcry as giving a public notice or a cry and a tumult. So it ain't just something, <laughs> no, but it's actually disturbances as well. Riots. An outcry. Boy, Laodicea is full of outcries. But it's also a cry of sorrow or wailing. So the Lord says, I am going to do away with all outcries. There will never be anybody marching down the streets of heaven with an abortion sign. Women's rights. Give us our rights to do this. There won't be none of them there. Praise the Lord. There will never be any racial marches because nobody there is a racist. 
And let me go a little step further and say, if you ever get the Holy Ghost, you won't be a racist here, much less there. Neither a black one or a white one, or an Indian or a Chinese. Nope, no, nope, that's not even in your new birth at all. Well, come on, saints. That's right. So it is not just crying and sobbing of a mother over a child, but it's any type of outcry against God's dominion. You see, we've got a model everywhere. Some of the worst ones we have in the age we're living in are professors in universities because they go almost unchecked. They go and they try to feed in the minds of our young people. This is why the generation that we're dealing with are agnostic, infidels, unbelievers. Well, praise God. Because a professor can stand and teach whatever he or she wants to, and they can do whatever they want to get by with it. If a preacher does it in the pulpit, they'll hammer you and nearly kill you. Well, praise the Lord. But God said, I will take care of all of the outcries. No more rebellion, no more marches, no more anti-God, anti-Christ. It will be finished forever. Listen to this next one. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Can you imagine living in a painless world? Can some of y'all imagine living in a painless body? And when you say, forget the world, if I just had a house, it was pain free. (laughs) Friends, who but God can make such a proclamation? Who but the Almighty can make such a statement? That I will bring the world to a state that there will be no tears. There will be no crime. There will be no death. There will be no pain. Can't you see how now he would love for that to be? You believe God's just going to get saved after a while and God's going to say, well, I've got all straightened out now and I'm going to make it. God, God don't want his children to have to suffer now. But it's because of the contrast of where we are. It's because of the contrast of light and darkness and the law of contrast that we're working under. That sometimes suffering must come our way. Oh, but how it must weigh so heavy on our Father's heart when He desires and longs for the time. Now remember, this is not just pain as well. It's just physical pain. But it is psychological pain. It is any type of pain, emotional pain and stress. Any type of pain that we go through will totally be annihilated. There will be no more pain. It will be a pain-free, painless world with pain-free, painless bodies living eternal life, hallelujah, with no medicine, no herbs, no toxins that you've got to take, that the world is totally pain free I hate pain anybody here like pain my lord no one raised their hand good I was afraid somebody would mess up and raise it anyway so 
know none of y'all like pain. Psychologically, physically, emotionally, we just don't like pain. But how many of y'all had pain? Emotionally, psychologically, in your body. Some of you may be sitting here today and you've got excruciating pain in your body. Or maybe you come to church and it was excruciating. It's eased up a little bit. And you're just squirming and wiggling in your back and whatever more, you know. Things that you're dealing with in your body. Have we all been there? Sure, we have. But yet God says, I want to tell them, John, let them know. The things that they are all so familiar with. Again, look at all these things that were identified. It's the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the red, the yellow, you know, and every, 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 every continent and, and the continent of Africa, of India, of Europe, of the United States, no matter where you would be on the earth. These are things every one of us have in common. And God said, these are the commonalities I am going to destroy from my people. And when I bring the new earth into existence, there will be none of this there. Praise God. Can I go on a bit? A pain-free world. Now he says, there'll be no more crying. No, neither will there be any more pain. And this is the reason. For the former things are passed away. Not only will heaven pass, and earth pass, and death pass, and pain pass, but all former things will pass away. It's a world that's beyond really what our minds can imagine. But can you think about a life that bears no marks of resemblance to the life as we know it now? Because when we're born, we're born into the earth in a stage of ignorance. And we go for years before we even get to where we can talk and even know anything. And then as we get older and older, we become more childlike and senile. And God, take me before I get there. <laughs> and we get to a place where we go right back to basically where we was in a child. So always say be kind to your children because they pick what nursing home you go into. So love them and be real gentle with them. But yet we come to a spot we're led into the world when we're born. People have to lead us when we die. You can't move around no more. And yet God said all those former things, all of those things are passed away. None of those things that you knew on the earth, none of those things will be there. Your former relations that never made it, they are identified under those former things. They are passed away. A father, a mother, a child, so on and so on. You will be birthed into the divine family of God and there will never be any remembrance of all of them not being there because the former things are passed away. Praise God. You imagine the melting of the elements, the disappearing of the bodies of the seas. That's wonderful. Can you imagine when death, pain, sorrow, anguish will totally disappear? It's strange how God does things, but he brings the new out of the old. So God will perform parakomia, which is the old earth will pass away. The Greek word parakomia is that it will change from what it is into another state. 
So he brings the new out of the old. Look what God did for the new birth inside of you that have it today. God brought the new out of the old. And even today, while you're living in this earth, the new is speaking out of the old and bringing the old subject and making the old obey what God said do. And the heavens will pass away and the new will come out of the old heavens. The old earth will pass away and the new will come out of the old. The old civilization will pass away and the new civilization will come out of the old what do you mean those who are born again amen those who are truly born again will come out of that civilization and bring the new in because the former things are passed away the old mode of life has passed away the old mode of thinking has passed away the old mode of communication and socialism has passed away all things are new Notice after he tells John this, look in verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne. Notice one he, one throne. Not they that sat upon the thrones because there ain't no they's in the Godhead. And he that sat upon the throne singular said, Behold, I, not we, I make all things new. You know who this is, don't you? This is the Lord Jesus. Behold, I make all things new, and he said unto me, write. Praise God. I'm so glad John did. Write, for these words are true and faithful. Can anybody here say amen to that this morning? Do you believe these words are true and faithful? The dramatic change by which this will be brought about are expressed to us by these words. I make everything new. And the revelation from the very person of God himself saying this, it is trustworthy, it is true, you can hang your soul on it because he said so. Well, Brother Donnie, I had a professor in school, he is not the alpha. Your professor is not the alpha, neither the omega, he's not even the middle. He much less, he's not the one that we put out. Well, I had a pastor in seminary. I don't care what a pastor in seminary said. I'm going to go by what the man on the throne said, not the man in the cemetery. Seminary. Oh, glory. These words are faithful and true. You imagine, saints, saints of God had believed these promises for 2,000 years. And here we are, the Omega Bride, right at the very capping off of the pyramid at the end time when God is fixing to consummate this whole thing. And we are the very ones. I believe it with all of my heart. I believe it with all of my heart. There are people sitting here this morning that will not die that will not die, that God will take us in a rapture and will cap off the church ages. Notice in verse 6, and he said unto me, it is done. Well, I reckon he's got the authority to say that since he was the same one on the cross that said, it is finished. <laughs> it is done. Glory. It 
done. The end of all things has come. The millennium is over. The white throne is over. Time is over. Rolling back into eternity. It is done. The elect are here. The predestinated are here. My program is finished. It is done. And upon his name, notice he says, I am Alpha and Omega. The first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. But Brother Donnie, how can we be sure? How can we be sure? I just told you how we can be sure. Because he says, I am Alpha and Omega. Would the devil like to stand up and say that this morning? He can say it, but we don't believe it. Is there a pope that like to say it? He might say it, but we don't believe it. Is there a preacher? Is there a Sunday school teacher? Is there a deacon? Is there another mortal that would like to stand on the earth? We will demand this of him. Prove it then. If you are Alpha, prove it. If you're Omega, prove it. All right, Lord Jesus, if you are Alpha and Omega, prove it. He can say, Donnie, I've already done it. I am he that was and is to come. I am he that come to the earth and gave my life. I gave my life and I allowed my life to be taken and I come by and raise my body back up again. I am Alpha and Omega, the expressive perfection of the deity of the Lord Jesus. Glory be to God. Notice this. I will give to him. That is a thirst. Look, you go, well, I, I ain't bright. I ain't bright. I ain't bright. Even if you ain't bright, if you thirst for God, you can be saved. You don't want to go to hell? You don't have to. Well, I, 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 does that mean I'll be bride? Absolutely not. does not mean you'll be bride, but it means you'll be saved. Well, praise the Lord. He's offering pardon of sin, justification to be able to receive the Lord for what he has done for them and say, I am Alpha and Omega. I'll give to the man, a man or woman, boy or girl, if they are thirsty, I will give them water. I will let them have a satisfying portion. Will it be the portion of the elect? No, but it will help them. Praise God. What is it? I will give him the waters of life. Refreshment. Delight in serving God. Do you understand? There are people out here that are nominal Christian and they love God and they actually get refreshed when they go to their church and they actually delight in what they know. Well, come on, don't sit there and look at me. Sure they do. They love God and guess what? There's going to be a bunch of them that's going to be there on that day because they're walking in everything they know. Can you imagine going from that verse of deity to verse 7? He that overcometh. So we go from the deity of the Lord Jesus to the overcomers. I love the way this is written in Greek. In the English it says, he that overcometh. But in the Greek it's actually he that is overcoming. He that is daily maintaining the combat. 
though he's not yet attained the perfect conquest. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! How many is overcoming? Oh, come on now, saints. It don't mean every day of your life. Now, you may lose some days, but you're going to get the ultimate. That's exactly right. You are going to fight. You're going to fight, but you are going to get the ultimate battle. You will win. Oh, hallelujah. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. imagine no more death no more pain no more sorrow no more difficulty he that overcometh he that daily overcomes gets all of this it's yours not he that believes not he that quotes scripture not he that pays tithes but he that overcometh I love the meaning of that don't you brother Terry is that wonderful he that is overcoming He that daily maintains the combat, though he has not yet obtained a perfect conquest. So we meet our spiritual enemies, and there's times, oh yeah, there's times we may regress a little bit, but that's not the way the war ends. That's just a battle. You see, we refuse to absolutely, absolutely refuse to be held a prisoner of war by Satan. We will die in the conflict before we're taken prisoner. Don't you understand what Satan is doing of Laodiceans? He's taking them prisoner. Folks that are backsliding away from this word, don't you understand what they are? They are a prisoner of war. But we say, no. We will die in battle before we are taken prisoners. Of war. Hallelujah. We are not POWs in Laodicea. We are overcomers. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. So say you live 70, 73 years, 75, whatever it is. You have battles, difficulties, struggles of life. You live your life, stack arms. You gather on yourself and on the other side. Then you walk up before the Lord Jesus that day and he gives you your reward and says, enter in. All these gates are yours. These streets, no pain, no sorrow, no anguish. All these things are yours. And you say, this ain't fair. This, this can't be fair. We hear people say, this ain't fair. This ain't fair. I'll tell you what ain't fair. For you and I to live a feeble mortal life for five or six decades. And we struggle along at the end of the way. He gives us life eternal. Gives us land beyond what we can imagine. You want to compare fair? And say your problems ain't fair, you're difficult to know. What ain't fair is the way he treats us. In reality, we do nothing for him. And he gives us all things. All things, all things are yours, children. (laughs) 
He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. You see, to the overcomer, he ain't the second person in the Godhead. He is the Godhead. <laughs> to him that overcomes, I will be more than a son. I will be his God. You see, Thomas experienced him that day once. Thomas had missed a few services and services Thomas missed. That was the services Jesus showed up. But Jesus, in his mercy, decided to visit another service. And sure enough, Thomas decided to come to church, you know. So the Lord Jesus showed up. So he said, I will not believe unless I take my fingers and put in the prince in his hand and take my hand and thrust it in his side. So the Lord Jesus holds out his body like this, Thomas. You imagine as he takes his finger. And his words were what? My Lord and my God. Not my son of God. Not my second person. My God. Glory be to God. Thomas had that revelation. Oh my. Jesus had not said that. Show me one place in the scripture where Jesus said, I am your God. Thomas somehow entered into that spot. My, I stood several years ago when Thomas went to India and one of the places there where he'd done his great work, I thought, bless his heart, he's identified in the Bible, you know, as a doubter and this and that. But as I stood there in the heart of India where Thomas had went through and took this same gospel that we believe and set that country ablaze. Hallelujah, why? Because he had a revelation of who his Lord and God was. And Jesus said to him that overcome, I'll give him all things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Can I have a few more minutes? You see, this promise was made first in the Old Testament to David. Speaking of Solomon, 2 Samuel 7, 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. God speaking to David about Solomon. God speaking to David about Solomon. God speaking to David about Solomon. How is Solomon going to be God's son because God claimed him thus. There was no Holy Ghost. There was no new birth. God renamed him and called him Jedediah. Praise be to God. 
If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of men. Now Solomon then becomes the declared son of God. <laughs> now Jesus becomes the mystical son. Notice this in Hebrews 1.5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. You mean the Lord Jesus is saying to us what spirit God said to him? I will be his God. That is forever. I will impart to him everything he will need. Through eternity. To maintain eternal youth. Eternal health. Eternal happiness. Eternal reward. I will be. Where do you think this is going to come from? Where do you think eternal happiness will come from? Where do you think eternal youth will come from? Where do you think eternal health will come from? Where do you think these things will come from? Only one source. The eternal. We won't be popping pills every day and popping herbs every day and trying to find the fountain of youth like Ponce de Leon did in Florida. We will be baptized into the fountain of youth. Amen. Our God will be sustaining us. It's not just going to happen one time. And that's it. We will live on his continuous sustaining glory. Be to God. Hallelujah. His sustaining power through eternity. We will be drawing our eternal youth from him. Our eternal health from him. Our eternal life from him. I will be his God. He will be my son. Forgive me, friends. I'm about to have a fit. Oh, glory be to God. Oh, if I can hear him say that. And he shall be my son. Now we looked at this last week, but let's contrast it briefly now. Stop. The very next verse. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murders and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death so after you talk about the overcomers after you talk about the sons of God then you contrast them with the fearful oh I, I, I'd like to go to church but I'm afraid everybody will laugh at me oh I, I, I just can't do it I've I'm, I'm, messed up so many times I'm afraid to start again I'm afraid to start again I just read about you A coward dies a thousand deaths. Heroes never die. But what if I make mistakes? You're going to make mistakes being a human. Do you stop existing as a human? Some of y'all want to become a peanut? 
I guarantee if you become a peanut, you won't make any mistakes. You ever see peanuts make mistakes? Have you? What about oranges, apples, mushrooms, hamburgers, hot dogs? Why don't you become a hot dog? If you want to live a mistake-free life, come on, that excuse won't hold water. You're going to make mistakes as long as you live. But the thing of it is, whose side are you on? Are you on the side of the Lord Jesus and his word? Are you? Glory be to God. I guess y'all just closed my sermon. Oh, let me read you this meaning again. I love this. He that overcometh, he that is overcoming. He that daily maintains the combat, though he has not yet obtained a perfect conquest. That's us, brothers all. That's us, children. Hallelujah. 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 To have no pain will be wonderful, to have no sorrow, no sickness. But really, if I was there with no pain, no sorrow, no sickness, none of that, and the Lord Jesus couldn't look at me and say, I am your father. You are my son. It still wouldn't be right for me. Now, I find this amazing, and I'm going to close for sure enough, that he says, I will be their God, and you will be my son. So here we have the Lord Jesus him saying he's got children. The Lord Jesus himself saying he's going to have children. So who is the father, him or the father? Isaiah had that understanding. He called him the everlasting father, the prince of peace. When you woke up before the Lord Jesus that day, my friends, it will be the very embodiment of God the Father in a tangible form. That great light hanging over the throne. And then he'll say to you, I give you all things. Here it is. I don't know how close, I would imagine by now that it's probably already done. But I do know that in 1964 and on up into 1965, in 1964, in future home, the prophet said he's still there working on that city. Now, you imagine? The devil has been in heaven, but he'll never be in the bride's place. So Jesus is going away to prepare a place for you, and if I go away, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. So he's been thousands of years in the making of this city. By the time the church age book was written and completed, he said, the gates have already been hung. The streets of gold already laid. 
And those angels are anxiously waiting for the inhabitants of the city to come in. Praise be to God. Of course, in God's time, that's only been a few hours ago. So they're just finishing polishing the gates and, you know, finishing all the work. And all. Can you imagine, friends, that were that close? Say, can you imagine a, a bridegroom, he said, that would be able to make and take a bride to a place? Oh, just to her touch. When the divine architect, praise God, with a divine Bolton attribute, to take her to a divine city. What's divine love? Oh, he just goes through a whole list of those things. Think of it. It's almost done. No doubt it's finished. And the angels are anxiously waiting. Waiting. Till the last one comes in. The last sermon will be preached. The last song will be sung. The bride will be ready. And we'll hear him say, Come away, my love. I have waited for this day when I could give to you my name. Eternity awaits us. Come away. Praise God. Lord Jesus, how we long for that hour, Father. If there's one here today, Lord, that's not ready, or one that will hear this service, I pray you'd deal with their hearts. Father, we know it's not enough to come to church. It's not enough to believe even that you've sent a prophet. The devil believes that. But we must be born again. You must bring the new out of the old. Second Corinthians tells us that we become a new creature, creation. The prophet says a new creation in the same old temple. So you bring the new out of the old. It's a phoenix. It's an arising out of this earth. You will bring the new out of the old. The earth which was in the water and out of the water in the Andalusian destruction, once it was immersed in water, you brought the new out of the old. When the baptism of fire will come and immerse her, you will bring the new out of the old. Those of us who are here when the rapture takes place, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you will bring the new out of the old. All of a sudden, a sweep goes over us, and we're changed. Praise God. Help us to be ready, Lord Jesus. We want to be overcoming every day, Father. We've not won the ultimate conquest yet, but we're fighting. But there's this one thing we know. We will not go as Laodicean POWs. We will not go as prisoners of war. Let me die on the field if I have to. God, let me die on the front as it were. But God, I refuse by your grace to be captured by Satan. Tortured. Tortured. That's what he does to people who backslide. He tortures them with drugs. Tortures them with alcohol. Tortures them with illicit sex. Tortures them with past memories. Tortures them. Let me die with the sword in my hand as it were, Lord God. With my brother standing around me fighting, let us stand here. Praise God. 
Let us stand here, praise the Lord Jesus. If there ain't but 300 of us as there was with Gideon, whatever, Lord, let us fight until the last man. Praise God. Oh, glory be to God. I refuse to wear a striped suit of the devil. Be a prisoner in Laodicea. Held by his bondage, his captivity. Praise God. We worship you, Lord Jesus. There's a one of you here today that's a POW of the devil. Hear the voice of God as he calls in the hour of liberation. Blessed be the Lord. Amen. This might be your time right here today that the Spirit of God wants to liberate you from an old backsliding evil spirit, besetting sin, or whatever more in your life. Let him set you free from being a POW. What if I make mistakes? Well, I'll go ahead and tell you, before you ever start back, you're going to make them. That's part of fighting. You're going to make them for the devil too, so make up your mind who you're going to serve. Hallelujah. Sing it for us, Harry. Can we just worship him together? Oh, praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Come away. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. I have waited for this day. I can give you my new name. Eternity. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody now. Not for POWs, but soldiers. Come away.
Homesick to go, does it not? He warned us there would be a homesick feeling after the services this weekend. But I don't know about you, but I'm going to know how it feels. No more pain, no more sorrow, nobody frowning, nobody sad. Nobody had to go through hell just to get to church this morning because there's people here that did. I thank God for touching them. Let's sing it together before we go. I'm going to know how it feels. Man. Well, I'm going to know how it feels. I'm gonna know how it feels to have a talk with the saints of old. I'm gonna know what it's like to miss my feet by the river of
Thank you, there you go.